Hello, Church of the Beloved. My name is Abe. I am the pastor for our Worker Park campus, and I am so glad that you're joining us today online to, to worship uh, and to spend time in the Word of God. Now, last week, uh, we decided to focus our time uh, on remembering the sovereignty of our King in heaven, remembering God's sovereignty. We want to do that to remind ourselves and to help us as a church deal with some uncertainties towards our future. Now, we really, Pastor Otua, it was his idea, with the blessing and the agreement and the participation of so many folks uh, involved in pulling together our worship service, we wanted to not ignore what's happening at our church, but rather to run at it, straight at it, with full confidence, knowing that God is in total control. And we didn't want to, we don't think we need to sweep uh, this awkward reality under the rug, the, the reality that many thought that setting up three independent autonomous churches was an inevitable thing and where God was leading us. And it turned out, not so much. God is intending for us something different. His plan for us and, and what he's put into motion is for us to be united together as one church and three campuses, at least for a, a little while longer. Um, and we acknowledge it. We, we, we proclaim it with joy because this is such a blatant presentation of God's will for us as a church. But today, we're going to return back to our, our regular format. It's, it doesn't mean that we're going to forget or ignore what God has spoken to us through the members of Beloved. Um, leaders like myself, Pastor Otua, Grace, who prayed so powerfully for us last week for revival, for, for Alex, who leads so well in worship uh, and calls us out when we're worshiping from bed, uh, and, and so many others who know, know that God is speaking to us. We know that he is speaking to us in this time, in this place, and we're not going to squander that. So there are going to be a lot of communications, uh, meetings, and gatherings being called out at each campus and together as a church. But neither do we want to squander what God's called us to do, to gather together, to encourage one another to love and good works, to spend time in the gospel. And over the next few months still, specifically in the gospel, according to Exodus. So we're returning back to Exodus, and we're going we're gonna to get into today's passage, but uh, I want to start, as is my habit, with prayer. Now, because this is a time not for me to speak, but for God to speak through me. For me, to, for me to decrease so that God might increase. So will you join with me as we pray to start off? Precious Father in heaven, you are great and you are mighty. And you are sovereign and you are perfect. You are good and you are gracious. You are all-knowing and all-powerful. And so we, as your beloved children, come to you on bended knee and ask that you pour out your wisdom and your mercy on each and every one of us. May the words that come out of my mouth be yours alone. In the strong name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Um, did you realize that we're only 90 days away, or less than 90 days away till Christmas? 60 days until Thanksgiving. I recently saw a post or an ad for a store, I think it was Lowe's, that's starting to sell Christmas decorations already. I happened to look across the street at my neighbor's place through their window, and I saw Christmas lights in their kitchen. I even heard an interview on NPR about how putting up your holiday decorations super early might 
actually help deal with some of the anxieties that you're facing today. Pastor O'Toole and I, we actually got together to start looking at this gospel according to Exodus sermon series that we're in right now and thinking about, okay, when are we going to end it? How are we going to get into the Advent? What's this Advent season going to look like in Christmas? I, I mention all this because, at least for me, I'm kind of done with 2020. I'm kind of done with this year. The truth of the matter is, I, I, I think that coping with everything that's been happening from, from the virus to the fires out west, from murder rates increasing to, to murder hornets attacking, from canceled weddings to canceled culture, all of this could be a little bit more manageable if it weren't for the fact that gathering together is, is, is so hard. I love my wife, Suzette, and for those of you who do not know who she is, she was the one who led us through corporate prayer, congregational prayer, via video. She had to do it through the video because gathering together is so hard. Like I said, I love my wife immensely. I'm not saying that I need anyone else. I just need my wife and Jesus, and I'm usually pretty good, but I think she would agree with me. It's been a hard, hard year. So... This part of the extra story where they're starting to deal with some really bad stuff is, I think, very poignant to us today. And I want to recap where we are at so far, right? So for hundreds, for centuries, Israel had been prospering. They, 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 they've moved to Egypt, and they're doing really well. But then this crazy despot of a king uh, enters the picture, and he starts thinking, whoa, there are way too many of those people around. So, so I'm going to start making it uh, impossible so that they can never organize, never gather and rise up and kill me and my people. And so this crazy guy, he tries to commit genocide. But his own daughter decides to ignore the ramblings of her genocidal, maniacal, despot king father and, and adopts one of those people. Forty years later, this adopted Egyptian Moses, he he uses his own uh, will and mind, tries to start essentially a revolution, but ends up screwing up and has to run away. Forty more years pass, and this Moses now has no power and no status. He's simply a shepherd. And now God calls Moses to be a primary character in a new chapter. So with trepidation, with angst, Moses and his brother Aaron, they confront another, a different maniacal despot, a, a new pharaoh. And, and they tell this pharaoh, God wants you to let the Israelites go and worship God, worship me. But pharaoh refuses. Mainly, I think, because, well, I know pharaoh sees himself as a more powerful god than the Israelite god. He's got them subjugated. Part of me also believes that maybe pharaoh kind of saw the economic impact that would have happened if he let uh, a population that was nearly as large as the city of Chicago, just disappear. So God uses Moses to present 10 signs of God's power, from messing with the Nile to, to bringing about gnats and boils and frogs, hail and locusts, until this, this last one, this last straw, the death of all the firstborn sons in Egypt. And it's only the obedient Israelites who, who shed the blood of a sacrificial lamb that escaped this last sign. And this pushes Pharaoh over the edge, and he ends up kicking out all the Israelites. Now, this is the moment that the Israelites have been waiting for. This is the moment. This is what they'd cried out to God about. And this is why Moses had come, to, to get God's people out of Egypt so that they could worship God. 
So here we are, we're nearing the climax of our story when God instructs Moses to take Israel on kind of a, a weird route. You see, a few days have now passed. The Egyptians are like waking up from a bad dream. And they're, they're finally starting to see the impact of, of losing up to 2 million people, a workforce. And it's becoming very real to the Egyptians. And I'm not sure if they try to rationalize their change of heart. Uh, but what I do know is this. God had a plan, and that plan included the changing and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. So as was read by Eugenia, thank you for that, Pharaoh goes out now with 600-plus chariots uh, to hunt down and to kill the Israelites. And, and, and those weird directions that God had given the Israelites now gave the Egyptians the perfect opportunity to do just that, to kill them. Because God's directions trapped the Israelites. God put this huge body of water in front of them, the Red Sea. And behind them, here come the Egyptians barreling towards them to destroy them. And this is the backdrop that leads into our message today. And, and from this passage, I want to point out just a few things that I observed. The first one is this. God is not ever surprised by anything. God never gets caught off guard. You know, you look at verses 1 to 4, you see very concrete language being used here. Because God didn't say, I might harden Pharaoh's heart. You know, know, he said, I shall, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. God doesn't say, I I, I should get the glory over Pharaoh. Or that the Egyptians possibly will know that I am the Lord. No. The language here is God says, I shall get glory over Pharaoh. And that the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. You see, this situation, every situation, whether, whether it's the Israelites facing what looks like certain death, our, search, our, our church's situation with an uncertain future, the injustice that you might be facing by the fact that you have to be your child's homeschool teacher, or on a more serious note, what happened with the grand jury's decision with Breonna Taylor. Uh, this, this is a hard truth, but this has always part and been a part of God's perfect plan. It, it's part of God's sovereign decree because God is never surprised about what's happening or what's happened. And I'm not saying that because this is part of God's decree that we're going to be happy about it all the time. Uh, no, not at all. Because I get that the natural and, and, and the most understandable reaction to difficult uh, situations, confusing situations, especially when it comes to injustice, we're, we want to rail against it. And I will tell you, honestly, I think we should. Because Michael chapter 6, it tells us to love mercy and to do justice. So, so our reaction uh, to bad times is not passivity, it is activity. But my point today from the passage is simply to remind you that God is not surprised. Everything that is happening is all, including our reaction, your response, my response, is part of his sovereign decree. Here's another way to think of it. When bad things happen to good people, do you think that God could possibly not see it coming? When Pharaoh jumped into his chariot and started hunting down the Israelites, do you think that God was taking a nap? And woke up and suddenly thought, oh, look, Pharaoh changed his mind. When difficulties come into your life, when hurdles pop up 
in front of your path, do you start thinking, oh, again, it's happening to me. Maybe, maybe God just doesn't like me anymore. Verses 10 to 12 of today's passage kind of shows that that's probably what the Israelites were thinking. Let me start with reading verse 10. It says this. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in, in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And I, 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 I read this and I'm like, wow. It's the first reporting of fake news right there. I mean, they say, didn't we say just leave us alone? We're okay here? We're fine being slaves? No, that's not what they said. I mean, this major revisionist history is going on in this place. When I'm reading this, I feel like, okay, the Israelites, they're feeling this. They're thinking, God, do you hate us? Have you brought us out here to die? You see, the language used in verses 1 to 10 of today's passage intentionally shows that God is in full control. He's not waffling. You see, the devil has no ability to thwart God's plan. Satan's going to try his hardest. But God is never going to ever be backed into a corner. And the same God that knows what's going on promises that nothing separates us from the love of God. Romans chapter 8 Verse 35, it says this, Who shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are, all, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. You know, nor Pharaoh's armies, nor failed votes, nor homeschooling, nor COVID, nor, nor even unjust killing. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Christ God is not surprised by anything. But we often are. That's the second thing. In today's passage, we see that we tend to get surprised by everything. See, God didn't just hope that he could save Israel. He brought them out of Egypt, out of Egypt knowing that he would save Israel. He, he doesn't hope to save us. He came as man in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, knowing that by his crucifixion and by his resurrection, he would save his beloved children. But fortunately, we often forget that promise. We, we, we tend to lose that hope. We, we tend to be surprised by everything that comes our way. And here's the thing, when, when we get surprised, when the world feels like it's crashing down on, on us, most and many cling to the familiar. One of our former pastors, Pastor Chris, he, he shared a book with me. It's called Leaving Egypt. It's by a Christian therapist and pastor. And in this book, the author spoke to this idea of, of Egypt, 
Egypt being the embodiment of sin. And you see, we struggle with our personal sins. We find ways by the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit to turn away from sin, to, to leave it behind like the Israelites left Egypt. But sin, like Egypt, has this audacity, has this tenacity to keep chasing us down. And as it continues to come after me, it wears me down and it makes it easy for me to go right back to it because I'm done, I'm tired. Because the familiarity of misery is sometimes a whole lot easier to face than the uncertainty of hope. Now, though we tend to be surprised by everything and oftentimes we cling to the familiar, again, God is still not surprised by anything, including our response and reaction. So my last point comes from God's response to the Israelites. You know, they're moaning about their impending death at the hands of the Egyptians, at the hands of Pharaoh. In verse 13 and 14, God speaks through Moses and says this, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. In other words, simply speaking, God's telling the Israelites to, to fear not right? Stand firm. Watch me. And shut up. You know, I want you to know something. These are not quiet words of encouragement from God. This is a firm retort by, by a sovereign king. He's saying, fear not, stand firm, watch me, and shut up. Because here it is, Israel is once again complaining. Israel is once again moaning. This would be their pattern, their M.O., throughout their journey. So God is being very firm and very clear. Fear not, stand firm, watch me, and shut up. Now, this is not a pattern that's reserved for just Israel either. See, Romans chapter 4, verse 5, Paul points out when it comes to redemption, it's not about what I do, it is all about God. I want to read to you verse 5. It says this, And to the one who does not work, but believes in or trusts in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So, every one of us, every one of us must realize that our redemption, our salvation comes when we fear not, when we stand firm, when we watch God, and we shut up because God's got this. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God's calling us to sit quietly. Uh, and do nothing, and not say a word. No, no. He, he is challenging the Israelites' words of dissension because these words are not edifying or glorifying or worshipful to God. If you look at the totality of Scripture, you know that we are called to bring the good news of God's redeeming grace to all his beloved children. We're called to worship God with all that we have, all our might, with all our mind, and we're called to not neglect gathering together to encourage each other. But... The point of this story, and I think the point of, of the entire gospel according to Exodus, is that it's not about me. There, there are absolutely examples of obedience and of faithfulness that we can live by. And there, there's the presentation of the law that is amazing and God's miraculous signs that can be an encouragement to us. But this story is not about me. It's not that I need to look for a spiritual checklist that I need to check off. It's that I am called to understand that God has already checked off everything on that list. See, the gospel, according to Exodus, is not a story about me. It's a story about God. It's a story about God calling his people, his beloved, 
to a brand new life. Uh, depending on your age, there's going to be one of two iconic movies that I think will have shaped your image of the Red Sea crossing. For me, personally, it was Charlton Heston, uh, Ten Commandments. For the majority of my, actually, no, for my entire small group, except for Suzette, uh, my, it's Val Kilmer and Liam Neeson's The Prince of Egypt. Now, regardless of which of these two movies might have shaped your image of the Exodus story, both do, I think, an amazing job of helping us forever envision what it might have been like when the Red Sea parted and the Israelites crossed across to a new life, what that might have looked like. Now, I'll admit one had better music than the other, but that's besides the point. Both, I think, did another thing really well, which is this. Both depicted the different reactions of people as they traveled across dry land. As they passed from death to life, as they, uh, as they left behind their old lives to become new creations, a new nation, you can see that there were some who were walking in awe and amazement. There were some who were kind of freaking out. In the Prince of Egypt, I think it was the camel that was freaking out. But anyway, you, you see God's call to his beloved, his promise of salvation, our sovereign king's perfect plan of redemption by the baptism of Moses for the Israelites as they're walking through the water, or the baptism of Christ for his beloved. Understand that this is not a result of the quality of our faith or their faith. It was a result of the object of faith. See, the redemption of the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians came because they followed God. And our redemption from the gates of hell is by grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ alone. As I said, I'm, I'm kind of done with 2020. Um, now our church is going through some difficult times. We're trying to prayerfully discern where God is leading us as a congregation. The world is continuing to suffer through the effects of this pandemic. And injustices are rampant and, and, and have rightly captured the attention of the entire world, especially us in our church. And, and we've been caught off guard by everything that's been happening in our world today. And because we're surprised, we are tempted to fall back on, on the familiarity of misery because we're uncertain. We feel uncertain about hope. But God's reminding us right now that we are to fear not, to stand firm, to watch him, and to shut up because he's got this. I'm going to go ahead and ask the uh, worship team to come up, and I'm going to ask us all to take a moment to pray. I'm going to ask you to take a moment right now to consider in your silence what it means to fear not, to stand firm, and to watch him. What does it mean to be silent? Maybe it's to take the time to dive deeper into the word so that you can discern his will. Maybe it's uh, to take the time to cry out to God so that your hope might be replenished in your life. Maybe, maybe it's finding ways to lovingly gather and to encourage and grow in the body of Christ. I want you to take a moment right now to discern how is God calling you to fear not, to stand firm, to watch God, and to shut up.